0: Okay. Well, good morning, Applewood. It's me, Rachel. <laughs> and uh, I don't have Emily with me. She's in the next room taking a nap. Um, but gosh, I am blown away by how much I've missed your singing voice, Allie. I've heard your speaking voice, but when I heard your voice, I was like, oh, Allie's singing. I'm so glad. Anyway, that's really special. So thanks for doing that. That sounded great. Um, I was thinking this morning about how I'm kind of getting used to Zoom calls and how that's kind of upsetting. I'm kind of upset by how used to these Zoom calls I'm getting. Um, This isn't something I want to get used to. I want, I want to be, I want this to be a thing of the past really soon, but, um, I was reading this week in Jesus Calling, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with it, um, And this one really just stuck with me all week, so I wanted to share it with you guys. It says, welcome problems as perspective lifters. My children tend to sleepwalk through their days until they bump into an obstacle that stymies them. If you enter a problem with no immediate solution, your response to that situation will take you either up or down. You can lash out at the difficulty, resenting it and feeling sorry for yourself. This will take you down into a pit of self-pity Alternatively, the problem can be a ladder, enabling you to climb up and see your life from my perspective. Viewed from above, the obstacle that frustrated you is only a light and momentary trouble. Once your perspective has been heightened, you can look away from the problem altogether. Turn toward me and see the light of my presence shining upon you. So I just felt like that was really encouraging this week, just knowing that, um, this whole situation can be a little overwhelming or um, I kind of resonated with that sleepwalking through the days. They're just kind of blending together, but um, I just want to challenge you. And it's been challenging me this week as well to just seek the Lord and seek his perspective in all of this. And, And may that help our perspective. So we're not overwhelmed by this crazy situation, but we are taking our hope in Jesus Christ. So I'll pray, and then we'll get back to worship. Lord, thanks so much for today. Thanks for this opportunity to meet together. Even though we're not in person, um, thank you that we can see each other and um, worship together and um, hear Guy's message. Um, I just pray that you'll bless Guy as he speaks to us today. And Lord, I pray that we will continue to keep our eyes focused on you and not on all the overwhelming things of our current situations. And um, just bless our Sunday together, in Jesus' name,
1: amen. Thank you so much, Rachel. All right, thanks, everybody. Thanks to my helper, Ella. She's going to be on slides in in the sanctuary when we get back together, I think. So, um, Guy, I'm going to turn it over to you.
2: All right, my little red microphone has disappeared. I think that means that you can hear me. Of course, I wouldn't know if you could hear me or not unless I see your little heads nodding Well, I'll tell you what I am I am with Rachel it's it's so interesting how and maybe you feel the same way I've gotten used to this and yeah it's tiring but I'm grateful for it and then yesterday and Friday got to see some of you with uh, some of our communion deliveries and and man that just doesn' it, it, it just Undoes me, if you will. I am, I am ready. I'm ready to be done with this and ready to be with all of you. But our God is on His throne, and uh, we indeed are not alone. And we trust Him in these days as we, as we soldier through, soldier through, and and uh, wait for Him in so many many ways. I want to start this morning with a story. Um, I perhaps have read this to you before. I, I don't know. I, I read so many stories over the years, and sometimes I don't know. Did I, did I just read this one? Did I read this one and share it with you? Uh, it just so touches my heart. And, uh, and I will try to not cry as I, as I read through it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, this, uh, this pastor writes, you know, I had a young friend. His name was Philip. Philip was born with Down's Syndrome. He was a pleasant child, happy it seemed, but but as he grew, he increasingly became aware of the difference between himself and other children. Philip went to Sunday school, a little church down the street. His teacher was also a friend of mine. He taught the third grade class with Philip and nine other eight-year-old boys and girls. (laughs) He writes, you know, eight-year-olds, and Philip, with his differences, was was not readily accepted. But my teacher friend was creative, and he helped the group of eight-year-olds. They learned, they laughed, they played together, and they really cared about one another, even though eight-year-olds don't say they care about one another out loud. My friend could see it. He knew they wanted to be different. And he, he knew that, that Philip was still not really a part of the group. Philip did not choose to be different. He just was. And that was the way things were. My friend had a marvelous idea for his class, the Sunday after Easter. You know those things that pantyhose used to come in? Containers that looked like great big eggs. Well, my friend had collected 10 of them. And he uh, brought them into class. The children loved them. Each child was going to get one. And it was a beautiful spring day. And the assignment was for each child to go outside to find a symbol of some kind of new life and put that symbol into their egg. And then they all brought them back and laid them on the, te- the, the table where the teacher began to open them. All the children are crowded around the table. He opened one and there was a flower. And they all oohed and they awed. And he opened another, and there was a butterfly. Oh, beautiful, the little girls all said, since it's hard for eight-year-old boys to say beautiful. Uh, He opened another, and there was a rock. A rock? How's a rock supposed to be new life? But the smart little boy who found it spoke up. That's mine. All of his friends thought he was crazy. He said, that's mine, And, and I knew all of you would get flowers and buds and... And flowers and butterflies and stuff like that. So I got a rock because I wanted to be different. <laughs> and for me, that's new life. So they all laughed. <laughs> my friend said something to himself about the profundity of eight year olds, and then he opened the next one. There was nothing in it. The other children, as eight year olds will, said, Well, that's not fair. That's stupid. Somebody didn't do it right. And then my friend felt a tug on his shirt and he looked down. Philip, Was standing beside him. It's mine, Philip said. It's mine. And the children said, you don't ever do things right, Philip. There's nothing there. I did so do it, Philip said. I did do it right. It's empty. The tomb is empty. There was silence. My friend described a very full silence. And for you people who don't believe in miracles, I want to tell you, that one happened that last spring day. From that time on, it was different. Philip suddenly became a part of that group of eight-year-old children. They took him in. He was set free from the tomb of his differentness. Philip died several months later. His family had known since the time he was born that, that he wouldn't live a long life. Many other children uh, excuse me, and many other things had been wrong with his little body, and so Philip died from an infection that, that most children could could quickly shrug off. At the funeral, nine eight-year-old children with their Sunday school teacher marched in and went straight to the altar. Not with the usual and expected flowers. Instead, they brought an empty egg, an old, empty, discarded pantyhose egg, and they laid it right on the altar in memory of their friend. My brothers and fi- sisters, y- you know this. Philip had it right. Philip had it so right. The tomb was empty, and we know that that empty tomb created quite a stir that first Eastertide in those post-resurrection days. Concern for the missing body was everywhere. The Romans were concerned. The Jewish authorities were concerned. The Roman soldiers who had guarded the tomb, oh, they were really concerned. And, of course, Jesus' followers were also concerned. And I wonder if that one shouldn't trouble us a little bit more than it does. I'll admit to just kind of being used to the fact that, yeah, troubled the disciples, they, they really didn't seem to know what had happened as evidenced by their surprise when Jesus shows up. Granted, it was not an everyday occurrence that someone who had died would come back to life, but Jesus was not your everyday kind of a person. And, and if I could just go ahead and, and point out the obvious, which you know I am so, so good at doing, mm-hmm. Jesus did tell them that he would rise from the dead. In our journey through Mark's gospel, he told his followers three times that he would be killed by the authorities, and after three days, he would rise from the dead. I think that's a clue. Three times Jesus told them, I'm going to be killed. I will rise on the third day. Do you think he ever wondered, will these people ever listen to me? It was the first time, you remember, that he told them Peter rebuked him. To which Jesus responded, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus knew that his death was not by chance It was not going to be a decision that was made by the authorities. It was the decision of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. From the very beginning, the suffering and the death of the Messiah was essential for the salvation of lost and broken people. And so this morning's post-resurrection story is another classic example of the mystery of the post-resurrection Jesus. He appears suddenly... He disappears just as suddenly as he appeared. But as we've learned, he's still on mission in these appearances. He is still about the teaching of God, teaching about the kingdom of God, and reminding and encouraging his followers before he returns to the Father. And this morning's story is no exception. So go ahead and grab your Bible. If it's it's nearby, if it's not, Uh, Find one, and we're going to read this morning together in Luke 24 and also in John 20. And we're going to begin with Luke. You might remember last Sunday's story ended with two of the followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and after they realized that their traveling companion, who just appeared, was Jesus, they went straight back to Jerusalem to tell the others that Jesus was alive because they had recognized him when he broke bread with them. So I'm going to invite you, if you can, wherever you are, to uh, stand this morning as we read together God's word from Luke's gospel. We're going to begin with Luke 24, verse 36, and we'll go through verse 43. So let's read together. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Can I just interject there? I told you three times. Okay, sorry. Here we go. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Now, just take a moment. To think quietly, maybe go back over the words that you've just read just for a minute. Reflection upon what we have heard. Okay, let's read together from John 20. We'll start at verse 19 and go through 23. On the evening, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now take just another quiet moment to reflect upon what we've read together. My sisters and my brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, spoiler alert, just right from the get-go here. um, There are those two pretty incredible statements there at the end of that reading. And with that, Jesus breathed them on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. You just need to know. I'm not going to do much with those at all this morning. We're going to, we're going to return to those. Uh, but this morning, I, because I think, if you're like me, I, I immediately go there and receive the Holy Spirit. But, but, but wait, didn't that happen at Pentecost? And so what does this mean now? And, and you mean if, if, I, if I forgive someone their sins, their sins are forgiven. If I don't, they're not forgiven. Whoa. I think they're distractions from a point that I think is more important in this text that we're going to camp on for a bit. But don't worry, we'll return to those before uh, this series is done. So Luke tells us that the followers of Jesus were together, and they're discussing the news that Jesus was alive, and he suddenly appears. Now, we know that they're not gathered there for any kind of a social occasion. They were hiding for their lives. John tells us that they were together with the doors locked for fear of the jewish leaders and jesus suddenly appeared now fear was not a new emotion for those who followed jesus how many times in our journey through mark's gospel and and you know this when we when we read the the other gospels jesus is forever commenting do not fear or or fear not fear is a part of the human condition and the reason that we fear is because we know and the songs that we sang this morning alluded to this that even though we may not want to admit it we know we know if we're honest that we are not in control of our lives more specifically we're not in control of the circumstances and or the people that affect our lives the obvious one For many weeks now, around the world, millions of people are are living in fear. There is a microscopic virus that none of us can see, and that scares the heck out of us. Because if we could see it with the naked eye, then we could have some control over it, perhaps. We, We could identify it. We'd see it coming. We would avoid it. But we cannot. And so, what do we do? Well, we go to extreme measures to avoid it. Because if we get it, we might die. And for most people, I think that's the greatest fear of the human heart. Oh, for sure, we fear the, the catastrophic impact that this virus has on our world. We, we fear that, that it's going to come closer to home and to affect us in, in ways that, that we can't predict because we know it's doing that to others. But I think ultimately, when it's all said and done, the greatest fear for most is death. Here are the followers of Jesus, huddled in fear, because the one who had been their growing source of hope and courage in difficult days was dead, or so they thought. And they knew that there was a very good chance that they could be next. Thus, they were inside together behind locked doors for fear of the Jewish authorities. And right into the midst of this fear party, Jesus appears. And what does he say? The first words out of his mouth are, Peace be with you. John records Jesus saying it twice. Peace be with you. Now, this morning for our neighbor discussion, Justin's going to break you out into some small groups so you can talk a little bit together for just a couple of minutes. And here's the question I have for you Why do you think Jesus? speaks those words, peace be with you, rather than the words that we've heard him say so often before, do not be afraid, do not fear. Sometimes it was in the form of a question, why are you afraid? But here, three times in these two gospel accounts, Jesus says, peace be with you. Why does he say that? Go ahead. Talk with the folks that you're right with together in the same room. Talk with others who you will soon be with. Justin, go ahead and break us up a little bit. Justin, are you seeing any hands, any uh, any responses? anybody want to to give some thoughts on why this greeting, peace be with you? We'd love to hear some, some of your thoughts. We've got a Richmond hand up. A Richmond hand. All right. Which Richmond is it?
1: The female Richmond.
2: The female Richmond.
1: Hello, Jill. <laughs> Hi. Um. to us. Well, um, we were thinking that it is the fact that peace is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay. And they probably had never experienced the Holy Spirit prior, obviously. Mm, good and thought. When peace is given to you, it is a gift from the Holy Spirit. Okay. And so <clears throat> he was saying that to say, here, here it is. Here, here I am. Aha. Uh-huh. And um, I was saying that the biggest evidence for me in my life is peace that makes god real because when you obtain peace from god it's not something you can muster up yourself and you're usually in the midst of some you know hurricane
2: yeah yeah for sure
1: peace rolls over you and it's evidence to me of god right there
2: good good stuff good thoughts i like that thank you jill yes good any,
1: any other thoughts?
2: Other hands out
1: there? Yeah, we've got Dennis out here. Dennis, speak to us, Dennis. <laughs> Actually, it's me. It's, um, it's Sue. <laughs> okay, Sue. We'd love to hear from um, you, too. Uh, thank you. Um, I, too, believe it was Jesus brought peace to them. and, and Say that was, last
2: part again. I, I missed you.
1: Jesus always brought peace kind of to hit the disciples and stuff so it's okay. it, it him saying peace i am with you okay be with you yeah. god peace i agree with jill god yeah. with you good
2: good that sense of here i am peace good yeah <laughs> good. good thought you know we have um we've talked about several times in the past, and, and, and this is familiar territory for you, the, really the, the biblical understanding, the biblical concept of peace, as it is, as it is couched in, in just the, the Jewish culture, the word shalom. You know, it's typical, I think, for us, for most people, we think in terms of peace as a, as a lack of conflict, as a lack of conflict that we, that we can see, that we can hear, that we can experience. It's uh, it's a general sense of, of dis ease. You know, I think a lot of people in our world right now would say, "Oh man, you know, if we could just have if we could just have some peace for a while," then what they mean by that is is a is a ceasing of the impact of the virus upon our lives and 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 what it's doing to our our sense of of normal daily living. We sometimes talk about. Peace and quiet, you know. <laughs> Parents of little ones sometimes long for peace and quiet. And, and that means that, that the little noisemakers have left the room uh, and, and it's quiet for just uh, a few moments. And and shalom, though it can have that sense, is really more of a, a rootedness in the in the presence of God that that has to do with a sense of wholeness and completeness. In other words, when there is conflict and biblically speaking there is conflict between a holy god and unholy people, fallen human beings, there is that sense of conflict when all therefore when all becomes right with God between the unholy and the holy. There is, there is that sense of wholeness and completeness for the one who is in a right place with God. Theoretically, nothing else is needed. That's difficult for us to, to live into. But shalom doesn't have primarily to do with circumstances or the actions of others. It has to do with a person's circumstance in relationship to God. When all is right with God, there is shalom. Does that that make some sense? Does that ring true? Mm -hmm. That's what shalom gets at. Jesus announced, peace be with you. I like Sue's idea, Jill's comment. You know, when when God is there, peace is there. God brings peace. It is his gift. Jesus announces, peace be with you. Now, it was a common greeting among the Jews of the day. Shalom, shalom to you. Uh, It's sort of our equivalent of good to see you. I hope you are well. But it's interesting to me. And again, I I hope I'm not making more of this than, than really is allowed biblically. But this is where it struck me this week. It's interesting to me that we have no record of Jesus saying this to his followers prior to his death. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't. It doesn't mean that he didn't exchange the common everyday greeting. We don't have record of all of his conversations. But I do think that there is a special significance to this post-resurrection greeting for those who are his followers. And, and if you will, just for a moment, put on your theology hat with me. And let's remember a couple of things from Paul. When he, when he speaks to the Romans, he speaks these words or writes these words, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. You remember Paul's, Paul's case all the way up through the book of Romans uh, and especially in the chapters 5, 6, and 7, he's been making the case that no one is saved by the law, no one is saved by good works, because essentially, and he quotes from some of the prophets, Hosea in particular, our works are not good. Everyone is saved by faith in Jesus. Everyone is saved. Everyone is rescued. Everyone is is freed from the bondage of sin by putting their faith in the one who shed his blood to atone for their sin. And Paul then says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, since it is faith in Jesus that justifies us, makes us just, and makes us righteous in the eyes of God, he says, we have peace with God. To our Lord Jesus Christ. For Paul, peace with God is is everything. Then he writes to the Ephesians in chapter 2. He's been talking about Jesus being the one who, who unites people, brings people together. He says of Jesus, for he himself is our peace. Paul refers to Jesus' life. He says he preached peace to those who were far away. Those are the Gentiles that we saw in the book of Mark when Jesus would would step into their lives and bring change. He preached those who were far away and he preached peace to those who were near. And of course, those would be the Jews in Paul's thinking. Think of the, the, the birth announcement to the shepherds. Peace to all on whom God's favor rests. This is shalom. This is peace between God and human beings. Sisters and brothers, when when Jesus says to his followers, peace be with you, I believe he is speaking on the basis of his completed atoning work. He has lived his life. He died on that cross. He rose from the dead. God's stamp of approval upon the final sacrifice that Jesus has made for sinful people. He's speaking a truth to them that he wants them to now begin to live into. You remember a few chapters earlier in John's Gospel, chapter 14, he's talking about his leaving, and they're troubled, and they're distressed what are they going to do without him he says peace i leave with you it's a it's a futuristic statement in in that language right there peace i leave with you my peace i give you i do not give to you as the world gives in other words when i leave i will leave a peace with you that you cannot know apart from me jesus says peace i leave with you my peace i give to you and and that's what it hit me this week we can try and try and try to not be afraid but our trying to not be afraid doesn't change anything or perhaps for a while it 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 works but but fear returns fear always returns because fear is a part of being human and living in a fallen world. But as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection, his completed work of atonement changes things. And it changes the thing that is most important, I think, to any human being on earth, whether they know it or not. He brings shalom. The peace that Jesus has brought to us and continues to provide is, is a big picture piece. It always points to relationship with God, and it goes way beyond this life. It is peace and rest for our souls, which is the essence of us. We can have peace in this world regardless of what is going on around us. And so I found myself thinking, when, when fear finds its way into our lives, and and it will, it always does we remember and we rehearse the truth of who we are and we sang that this morning together i am a child of god that is what was made possible by jesus atoning work god has suddenly become our father and so so jesus is speaking in a present reality to his followers peace be with you live into the peace that i have just made possible few days before by my death and now my resurrection god's stamp of approval brothers and sisters as followers of jesus who have put our faith in him for our salvation we are children of god i am a child of god say it with me will you I am a child of God. Again, I am, am a child of God. You know, Jesus told his followers early on in his ministry with them not to fear anyone or anything <clears throat> that, 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 any, that something that anyone could do to him or anything that could, could happen to them. He said, fear God. Fear God because he can destroy the human soul. But faith... Faith in the saving work of Jesus makes things well with our soul. And that is a wellness that lasts for all eternity. And so the challenge is for us to to live into it, to remember I am a child of God. And in the midst of this pandemic, I am a child of God. When someone close to me someone that i know uh, gets the COVID virus i am a child of god for them and and when i begin to fear that that perhaps i've been compromised and, and i'm going to get this virus i am a child of god and and when i lose my job as a result of this this pandemic i am a child of god and when we find ourselves wondering how long is this going to go on, and, and, and is our world as we know it going to collapse, I am a child of God. Yes. And then those two statements that I told you I was not going to do much with. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, I am sending you. It's always back to mission for Jesus. And, and how many times have, have we learned this at Applewood over the years? Jesus didn't, didn't atone for our sin in order for us to, to live lives that we want to live. He atoned and made us his children, children of God, so that we then would join him in mission. And Jesus is sending them out on the mission. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Did that really happen? Is this just some kind of an illusion? Or did it happen then and did it happen again at Pentecost? I'm just going to come out and say, yes, he's the risen Lord. He gets to do what he wants to do. We'll do uh, we'll do more with this on, on Pentecost. And of course, followed by those those mysterious words, if you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Too bad for them. No, I don't think so. I think they're, they're statements of proclamation. A more literal construction of the language there is that those whose sins you forgive have already been forgiven. Those whose sins you do not forgive, well, they've not been forgiven. And is that not the message of the gospel that we take into the world as as partners with God, we are proclaiming that there is forgiveness for sins. There is forgiveness for sins, and it is found in Jesus. Which, this morning, I think, best of all, brings us to communion. So I want to give you just a moment to, to find your communion elements, your juice and your bread. If it's not right nearby, uh, give you a minute or two to to get that and then i hope that you'll you'll come back and let's break bread and share the cup together even though we're apart my sisters and my brothers in Christ the lord Jesus when he gathered with his followers at that last meal together before his crucifixion, his death. He he took the bread, and he broke it, and he reminded them, yes. He said, "This, this is my body, given for you. Do this often, and remember me. We saw the disciples last week recognize Jesus in the breaking of the bread. He took the cup, In the same way, Scripture tells us that after supper, he took it and he gave thanks and he said, this cup is the symbol of of the new covenant in my blood. Do this often in remembering me. And so we gather together as God's people to break bread and to drink the cup, proclaiming Jesus, remembering Jesus, calling attention to Jesus, making Jesus the reminder of who he is for us, central to all that we say and all that we do in this world. Jesus, the one in whom there is forgiveness of sins. So I invite you to take the bread and to to break it with Sharice and I as we break it together and uh, dip it in the cup and find the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life reminding you of the truth, of the hope, of the strength, of the freedom from sin that is yours through Christ.
1: Lord, thank you for your promise of peace. Thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that makes that peace possible. Amen. Thank you that no matter what we're going through, you are always with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Um, Through the valley of the shadow of death, you are by our side, Lord. And because of that, we can have peace. So help us to hold fast to these truths in the coming days and weeks and months. Um, Even as we're apart from each other, we never, never have to be separated from you. Not now, not for eternity. That is the greatest truth of all. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice that makes this possible. In Jesus' name we
2: pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, fear doesn't stand a chance when we stand in the truth, in the certainty, in the knowledge of our God's love for us. But but we've got to stand. And I think standing is is a matter of knowing and rehearsing and reminding Mm -hmm. ourselves and one another of the truth. There is much Mm -hmm. to be fearful in these days in which we live. Amen. We, the people of God, know that it is well with our soul. Jesus has granted us entry into the shalom of God. Mm -hmm. May we stand in that, Mm -hmm. remind one another of its truth.
0: Mm -hmm. Live
2: into the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory and praise of our God in these days. Amen.